everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 328. So, what's up? Recorded June 24th, 2018, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Drive Time Radio for Geeks. I am your host, Mark, sometimes known as the Sultan of the soap do- Soapbox Cockerel, and joining me this week... As always, are your two stalwart co-hosts, Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson, and Miles, the Aussie Engineer, the World Traveler. Welcome, Hello, gentlemen. Hey, Mark, and welcome to the Opiates. We love you. Yep. Uh, I don't know what to say because I have no idea where I am anymore. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Hola. Good day. I don't know. Yeah, hi. So, as we've chronicled in the past, in, in uh, his efforts to get away from the oppressive heat of the desert southwest uh, he of course goes to south america uh, which is known for its uh, uh balmy uh cool climates uh, where are you this week miles <laughs> i'm in puerto vallada mexico right now sitting on the pacific ocean all right so it's it's probably not much cooler but the ocean seems to help it's very humid um yeah. if you've ever been here this is like jungle meets ocean with a little bit of beach there it's um, very picturesque beautiful place people come here have their weddings get the photos you know overlooking the the pacific uh but wow it's humid this time of year so uh yeah it's it's okay you know thankfully there's air conditioning air conditioning is a wonderful thing I, we have i was saying earlier before we started we've reached the point here um in in my particular house where my upstairs unit simply can't keep up it's uh, 90, I think 5 degrees was the, the high projected today with about 80% humidity. Um, and as I said, uh, my, my little upstairs above the garage attic studio space is 81 degrees with the air conditioner running as full as it can go. It just it just can't keep up anymore. It's only about six or eight weeks out of the year that it's a problem, but I'm right in the middle of that. So uh, first world problems for the win. Hey, uh, Yay. I, I, a little first tip. world problems. Uh, if you ever decide you want to buy a mini split air conditioner, uh, come to Mexico and get one. Um, I paid, I think it was somewhere around about $1,500 and then about another $1,000 installation to get one installed in my home office. And I went into one of their, you know, one of these sort of stores, supermarkets slash Walmarty type stores here, uh, only to find a eighteen thousand BTU mini split air conditioner that would probably just do exactly what you want, Mark, for a uh, US dollar equivalent four hundred and sixty dollars. Wow, that's yeah, dude, that's worth it. Then another yeah. fifteen hundred dollars to have it installed. So yeah, it's a uh, uh, even counting the plane ticket, <laughs> it might be worth it. I know, I know. So, uh, yeah, I know where I'm going when, I, when mine dies a natural death. Yeah, those things are they're really cool. It, 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 if you don't know what he's talking about, if you've ever been in a hotel room, that's a mini split. Part of it's inside the building, part of it's outside the building. It's like a window unit, but through a wall. Yeah, very, um, very efficient. I mean, uh, one thing few people know uh, outside of the United States is that most other countries I've visited, this is the predominant air conditioner of choice. Uh, all through Asia, all through Australia, all through Mexico, uh, is all mini split everywhere you go. Uh, you get, you know, the big uh, units in the larger hotels, obviously, for the, for them. But for the average home, uh, one or two mini splits does the job. And they're so cheap, but not in the US. For some reason, you pay a premium because they're not as popular. Um, but down here, man, they're cheap. 
does it show about how much electricity they use? Um, or do you know of a good website like that? Because we don't have window unit, we don't have a central AC in our house. We just have window units, and I'm thinking, you know, mini splits might be the way to go. But, yeah, you well, could run four, three or four off of a single outdoor unit, so it does make them more efficient in that way. That's true. I mean, the last one that we bought was 27 sear. So compared to my regular air conditioner in the house, which is like about, I think, 17 sear, and that's a good one. Uh, these are far more efficient and far cheaper to run. Sweet. Sear, S-E-E-R. I don't remember what it stands for. We'll look it up. It's an efficiency rating. Basically, the higher the number, the better it is. Correct. Um, cool. So very quickly, uh, I am one episode away from finishing Luke Cage Season 2. Very short spoiler-free review. Uh, it's a Netflix show. Uh, better than the first one uh, so far. Uh, I'm uh, more believable characters, at least through the first like nine episodes, and then they get a little crazy. But uh, the first one had the same problem. It was really good for about five episodes, and then it just kind of went nuts. And this one hasn't quite gone off the rails yet, but it's headed in that direction. But I got through like 10 episodes before it started to getting there. So um, worth the watch. If you enjoyed the first one at all, you'll like the second one. So that's all I'd say about that. Um, <laughs> so Miles, you, you broke your phone, it looks like. Uh, I didn't break it. Okay, not guilty. Um, you, the world of lithium-ion batteries killed me. I've had, I don't know if this has ever happened to you guys before. But if you live in a world where you've got a laptop computer that's got a lithium-ion battery or a phone, uh, after a while, the um, recharging and constant recharging, you know, eventually the cells in the lithium-ion batteries fail and they swell up. And if you've ever right. seen a device with a swollen lithium-ion battery, it just like it breaks the case and the whole thing looks like... And some, they're unsafe to use at that point. So yeah. the, the case is not your yeah, problem. It, it, it looks like my phone was, uh, you know, in an episode of Alien or something, and it's about to give birth to some horrible thing. Anyway, uh, I get to, uh, on my traveling, lo and behold, guess what? My phone swells up, you know, like it's got some disease. And I knew right there and then, battery, dead, don't charge it. I'm, I'm just researching to find out how safe or dangerous this is, thinking it's going to burst into flames at any moment. Uh, anyway, after getting a whole lot of fear of God, you know, <laughs> research on Google, I decided not worth it, go get a phone. So uh, I'm in Mexico City and I'm trying to find a phone. Well, where do you go? I mean, I don't speak Spanish. I mean, I speak enough to order some food or say hello and goodbye to somebody. I don't know how to order an Android 7 compatible phone that's unlocked with a SIM card and, you know, 8 gigs of data. Um, yeah, I can work it out on Google Translate, I guess. But anyway, I, I walked into a small phone distributor and the guy spoke pretty much no English and I spoke pretty much no Spanish, but we worked it out. And uh, I got myself a uh, really crappy, cheap Chinese ZTE phone uh, with Telcel as the carrier, um, 130 bucks out the door with the SIM card and everything, and it's got me through a couple of weeks of traveling. So, uh, yeah, you can do it, but man, I, you know, anybody who's got a phone that's been around for 12 months or more, 
Um, next time I buy a phone, the first requirement on the spec that I'm going to look for is replaceable battery. Uh, this is not the first time lithium-ion batteries have done a, a number on any device I've had before. So, Are, are you uh, using you know. super cheap discount bargain bin chargers? Because I've never had that problem with any phone, and I've run them for years. No, it, it, I had this problem on my $2,000 Dell XPS 15 laptop, uh, and then Dell sent me a replacement battery. Thankfully, it, it, it did this within a week of its warranty about to run out, so I got lucky with that. Uh, and now it happened on an expensive HTC um, 10 phone, and I'm running it with a top-of-the-line German charger, so I get that rapid charging thing. Uh, but yeah, I think it's just the batteries that just died. Mm -hmm. I found out with a little research and a bit of YouTubing that you can actually replace these batteries yourself. So of course I ordered one from China that'll take three weeks to get here. So hopefully when I get back into town, I'll uh, grab a battery and go down to my local phone provider and convince them to crack open my phone and, and replace it. I, I don't need to buy another phone. And that replacement should cost you about 85% of what a new phone would cost. That's typically how that works out. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, it's 27 bucks for the battery. No, I mean the replacement, though. They Because when, once you start uh, breaking heat seals and all that sort of stuff, uh, at least in the Atlanta area, that's uh, high price work. Yeah, yeah, actually, that's, good. I, that's a good point. I'm not sure what to expect when I walk in there. So I, I will continue the story later when I find that out. I, I, I broke a screen on a phone and replaced it and then thanks to the fact that i have daughters i broke another screen on that same phone and the two screens together was more than the cost of a new phone so um and it's it's the kind of work i have the equipment to do but i don't have the desire to spend the hours of my life doing so you know maybe well, that'll be a fun project i have i have a question for both of you guys what do you think is a reasonable uh, given the lifestyle we live as geeks right what do you think is a reasonable price to pay for a phone 300 bucks that's my benchmark usually three to five hundred the uh, 300 for the low end 500 for for the flagship so what do you think seth i mean i'm cheap i buy cheap crappy phones so 50 to 75 dollars oh wow Whoa. And that's well. Okay. I mean, notice my LG chocolate that I thought I was in the Smithsonian, but I wasn't. I was just in my bedroom. So um, I, I, not a big fan of cell phones. No, I. You know, surprisingly, I'm the same. I I don't like using a phone. I, you know, maybe it's just because I'm squinting to see the thing all the time. But I don't want to be carrying around you know, a boat anchor in my pocket all day and be dealing with you know the burden of having to you know, deal with, just be glued to the phone all the time. Um, at some point, I kind of want to rebel and just say, hey, let's be social and not actually get <laughs> sit there texting on our phone at the, at the dinner table all the time. But, uh, you know, I, I, I guess I'm different. Well, communication well, is the thing I use my phone least for. It's primarily a media playing device, audiobooks and podcasts. And okay. uh, so I... I, I, you know, of a, a average 16 hour day, 10 of those is some media playing in my ear. Yeah. And like for me, I hate the, when the central feature of an app is not let's take a website, reduce functionality and call in an app. Maybe I will be on board for more of them. <laughs> but um, as it is right now, I just the I 
I play podcasts and you know, my, I have a rather pedestrian goal of during the course of a week, I want to listen to 24 hours worth of podcasts, but actually like listening to them and not having them on for background. And so that's really pretty much all my phone does, you know, and like Facebook, whenever I'm somewhere away from home. Sounds good. All right, so let's jump into the news of the week, month, recent time period. Um, we, it's it's news, it's old, it's it's moderates at this point. Uh, but uh, there's some uh, some legislation. Uh, it's really not legislation. It's a court decision that has freed up legislation uh, that now takes away one of the big advantages for all the online retailers uh, that they've had over brick and mortar for all these years. Yes. So um, you can actually think it's a South Dakota versus Wayfair at all or something official like that. But the Supreme Court voted five to four to overturn the physical presence requirement. So now um, websites will be forced to collect sales tax. Um, And, you know, I personally I'm I'm yay for this one because sales tax is how local communities are, are supposed to function. Now, granted, you know, we probably don't collect enough sales tax to line everybody's pockets and provide services, but you know, you got to start somewhere. So this uh, Supreme court decision is going to mean more sales tax. Um, and well, not more sales tax, but it means you're going to have to pay taxes on things you buy online in more places than you were before. And, you know, like I say, if you want functioning government, the government has to have income from somewhere. And so, yay, good decision, I think. 45 of the 50 states in the U.S. have some sort of sales tax, some sort of point of sale tax. Uh, And uh, the law of the land in the U.S. has been that uh, you have to have a physical presence in that state. So like Amazon, for example, if they didn't have any warehouses in Georgia, they wouldn't charge sales tax on Georgia sales. Um, it doesn't matter if your product is coming from a warehouse in Georgia. If if the company owns any physical property in that state, then you're paying sales tax. And I remember a few years back when uh, Amazon started charging sales tax on most things as they expanded their regional warehouse things, they began to have physical presence in a lot of places. So for me personally, that's not going to matter. Almost everything I do, I already pay sales tax on because their biggest warehouses were in the, are in the Southwest. And when I was in Texas, I paid sales tax here. Uh, but you know, a lot of people have, have, touted that as a reason to buy online and that reason's gone away or going away uh so now this doesn't mandate the collection of sales tax it frees up the ability to collect sales tax which of course every municipality is going to jump on immediately yeah the uh, you know for a guy who's spent a lot of my working life dealing with writing software that does uh sales and, and you know tries to calculate sales tax um it doesn't surprise me that they would do this. It doesn't surprise me that all jurisdictions will start charging. But what scares the bejesus out of me is that sales tax in the United States differs by city, by county, by state, and then um, which one and how does somebody write software to calculate how much to collect uh, is it based on a zip code. It's just a nightmare. Um I even went to Montreal, Canada once to work for a company up there uh, to write some software and I thought that theirs are even crazier because, um, no offence to Canada's taxation system, but they have a a provincial 
they have a national and then they have another one if i remember that's all got to be worked out so that you calculate the tax on one you deduct the other and the highest number wins and it's this crazy system um not a fan of taxes obviously uh mr free market libertarian here but trying to calculate that stuff man it's difficult uh, and it and it certainly doesn't get any easier when you add EU and Australia and everybody else into the mix. Well, and it gets even more complicated. So if I buy something for you, Miles, as a gift, and my billing address is in Atlanta, Georgia, but the shipping address is in Phoenix, Arizona, which entity, which local entity gets to collect the taxes on that? The person who paid for it or the person who received it? Which tax rate is it? So it's going to be complicated, but it's nothing software can't fix. Yeah, and, you know, like I say, I personally, I'm I'm not a fan of taxes, but I am a fan of evenly taxing everybody the same. And so, granted, people aren't going to, we've passed the point in time where people are going to expend the energy to go somewhere and buy things. But, you know, like I say, those governments were built on the model of we collect, you know, we run off of the sales tax of stuff purchased here. And so... That sales tax has got to come from somewhere unless we're just going to do away with all sales taxes and then move to income tax, which I'm not a fan of. But, you know, yay. Well, there is <laughs> – I was just going to add to one thing to that. Um, sales tax or GST or VAT or whatever you've got is a method that governments can put – small businesses and retailers into the role of tax collectors and tax bookkeepers because ultimately they end up doing all the hard work and then sending the payment into the government and reporting on what they collected. Um, It's a way that governments can avoid a lot of accounting and bookkeeping overhead um, and hence operate a leaner, meaner, you know, operation. So therefore, of course, they love it. Um, and one would say, you know, if there was a flat tax and we could get rid of all the other stuff, that would be great. But, you know, I, I just find the whole thing's just so difficult and more complicated and just makes us all tax collectors. Well, maybe what'll make up for it is the fact that, uh, due to government pressure, uh, the major carriers, Verizon, AT&T and Sprint have all said that they're going to stop tracking your location sometime soon, at least not as much as they used to. Kind of. Well, that's kind of a misrepresentation of what's going on here. What happened was they got caught with their hands in the cookie jar that they were selling real-time customer location information to third-party data brokers. And then so the government said, hey, this isn't good. You shouldn't do this. And so let me slap you on the hand. And so they are doing now. So what they're going to do is they're going to stop selling the data to third party collection. And probably what will turn around is they will then probably extract a revenue from the third party to have the results of the data fed to them or something. So, you know, it's one of those things uh, on on the surface, it looks like privacy is rearing its ugly head on the internet, uh, which is something that, you know, big business seems to hate. But don't worry, it probably just means that they're going to keep your data and people that want it are instead going to have to go through them to get the results rather than them getting the raw data and able to massage it themselves. 
Well, a, a quote from Senator Ron Wyden here. He says, after my investigation, I'm sure he did all the work, and follow-up reports revealed that middlemen are selling America's location to the highest bidder without their consent or making it available on un- insecure web portals, Verizon did the responsible thing and promptly announced it was cutting the companies off. So the key phrase there that I'm p- picking out is without their consent. That means the next time you do a, an update, when you click the I agree button, one of the paragraphs will be in, in there that says, I agree to let you sell my location data. Boom, problem solved. Yeah, well, I, I love this. Uh, the T-Mobile CEO, uh, this is a, he wrote on Twitter, and this is a quote, will not sell customer location data to shady middlemen, uh, period, <laughs> end of quote. So Only all of the middlemen middle have to come out to the sun, yes. So, you know, it's one of those, it, it makes for a good press release for the big companies that are just being found again and again and again to service their customers, um, you know, and ask a farmer uh, who has a bull what it means to service <laughs> someone. And uh, they, so this is just good press for them and has, you know, and they've got money to spare. So they're, they're just buying some good press. I don't really know that the end result is going to be everybody still has access to your data. Now it's just, they're going to form a partnership with T-Mobile or AT&T or Verizon. And that partnership entity is probably what's going to control the data now. So AT&T still has control of it, but you know, at least they didn't sell it. They just, they're going to rent it or lease it probably now. I've got a funny story to tell you. Um, I had a friend of mine staying with us uh, a couple of weeks back uh, in Phoenix, and he has a car which he had uh, stored in Canada, I think, and he was going to bring it uh, back to the United States. He's from Australia. So he was going to bring it back to the United States and ship it over the ocean, uh, you know, to Australia. But he needed to get insurance for the car in order to drive it from uh, Ottawa to Arizona or eventually to Long Beach. And um, he went online and, you know, did his research on different insurance companies that he could get quotes for. And he picked one. And I can't tell you who it is because I don't actually remember. I'm thinking it might have been State Farm or one of the old state, one of those big insurance companies. So he calls up uh, from uh, his cell phone which was in our house, and uh, that's where he was calling from, calls up the insurance company and says, look, I'm here to get a quote on my car that I'm going to you know, drive. And they gave him the quote, and then at the end of the conversation, they said to him, now, would you like to give us a quote for these other three vehicles that we see are at your location now? They were, that was my car, my wife's car, and my daughter's car. And he's like, how the heck do you know? And they gave him the cars, the VINs, the color, the year, the make, the model, and a quote on insuring all of the cars. And he's like, hang on a minute. They're not my cars. I'm staying here at a friend's place. That's the, How do you know what cars they've got? And apparently it was exactly for that reason. They GPS located the phone he was calling from and the insurance company's computers pop up and go, all of these vehicles are located at that location. <laughs> That's privacy for you. Big Brother is watching. Big time. It's just not the government. It's This is one of the downsides of, there are many, but this is one of the downsides of capitalism. And that uh, if AT&T and Verizon and T-Mobile could make enough money actually providing a service to their customers, they wouldn't need to do this. But because the free market has driven the cost of cell uh, phone service, I mean, whatever you pay now, if you're an old guy like me, you're paying half of what you used to. Um, 
for phone service. Remember the days of paying for minutes? We don't really pay for minutes anymore. We have a package of minutes. Remember the days of paying for long distance? So the the ways in which they could make money on the actual service have gone down, and so they've had to keep their revenue coming in somehow. So they've come with these other you know downstream ways of doing it. Um, it, it for me. It, hark- it it illustrates the fact that very rarely are we actually paying for the service. You know the old line: if you don't know, if you're not paying for a service, you're the you're the the revenue source. Well, in this case, we are paying for the re- service and we're the revenue source. You know, and I will grant you, Mark, that is part of it. But also, you are paying for them to buy back stock so they can raise the price, so they can exercise their stock options to take more money out of the company so they don't have to distribute it to shareholders uh, and to the quote-unquote owners of the company. Not you know, that's, that's not all not of it, it, Seth. That's not it. That's what part it is, of it, though. It's the fact that we've created a system where stocks must perpetually go up. A flat stock is a bad stock. If you're a good company that holds your value, you're a bad buy. You have to continually increase your stock price. It's not about buybacks. I mean, that may be a part of it. But we have this bizarre system that really cannot sustain itself, and we've talked about it before, where a stock must go up every quarter. Well, that's just not possible, and yet it's the only metric that anybody cares about in any publicly traded company. Did your stocks go up last quarter? Yeah, and the reason for that is that you've got a lot of pension funds and say senior citizens who are living on retirement savings who are drawing down whatever they're getting in terms of interest on those savings and nine times out of ten those savings are invested in in equities they're invested in mutual funds and stock market hedge funds and all that sort of big stuff if that stuff isn't growing at four or five percent they can't draw down four or five percent to live exactly on. And so it's it's a it's an unsustainable situation. It will collapse on itself. I just hope it does after I retire and pull my money out. You mean because, after you die, not retire. Right. Well, after because. I have liquidated, exactly. Yeah. Um yeah, after I retire, that would be the worst possible time. But it's it's just an insane system that we all buy into whether we want to or not. I mean, even if you are not actively trading stocks, you are bought into that system in one way or another. Your company's 401k or even if, you know, uh, your whatever it is, it's all based on the fact that all stocks must go up, which is just a ludicrous thing. It can't continue. Um, but, you know, all the financial guys are out there saying, you know, there's never been a time in stock market history when over 10 years the stock market went down. Well, think about that for just a minute. How can you consistently create all this value? You do crap like this. You sell things uh, without your customer's permission because uh, that's the only way your stock can go up. I, I can't. I don't disagree can't with you. With that. Is, yep. <laughs> or you could do really innovative things like IBM and create a, a, a computer that can win a freshman debate contest. I don't get this at all. Cool technology. Not sure why it's useful. It's the next step in the Turing test, though. Yeah, so um, IBM has unveiled their um, project debater, or as I call it, Watson 2.0. And what they did was, when they unveiled it, these are like um, professional debater-type champion people. And uh, they would pick a randomly selected topic, and, you know, and there was just like, there was, you know, opening statements and rebuttal and closing statements. So there wasn't a lot of interaction, which is where the true meat of debates happen. But... um, um, it was interesting that they polled the rep- the media who were at the debate, and the media agreed that pretty much the human won it, but they thought the um, the project debater 
had better control of the facts of the case. And so I wonder if any of that was real, just because that's a computer talking, you know, I wonder if it's an uncon unconscious bias, but it was pretty interesting. And then I was watching this one news story. So a good use of this, a business case use is if somebody is going to be, um, on a newscast, let's say the next day, and you're going to be arguing some, you know, for the wall, for a border wall or against the border wall, IBM plans to like sell this as a service. So you could, you could, you know, you bring up project debater on your IBM cloud and take the position of against the wall and it gives you all the facts for, but you, anyway, I just thought it was really neat. And I'm looking online for the complete debate presentation. I haven't been able to find it yet. I've only found excerpts and a lot of the videos have been like news pieces about it, but I am very interested to see the entire debate presentation of um, the, de the debaters versus the software that was developed. I thought it was a cool story and it's one of those, you know, um, this is more a promise of true AI than, you know, a lot of the, the Google home and all that kind of stuff. So, and again, it's not AI, but it very well mimicking it kind of thing. So pretty cool. I think. Yeah. First off, my apologies to the YouTube chat room. I kept forgetting to put links in. I did this time. But uh, what I like about this article uh, that you pointed out on The Verge is they, they sort of reveal some of the secret sauce a little bit. And it, it's, it talks about uh, confidence. Uh, you know, all of these things are based on confidence. The, the, uh, when it uh, when it played Jeopardy, it was the same thing. If it, if it had a, a certain percent confidence in the answer, it would buzz in. If not, it didn't. And this one, if it wasn't sure... This is uh, the one of the designers, I think, uh, I'm sorry, I'm skimming this, says, quote, if it's less confident, uh, it'll do its best to make an argument that will be convincing as an argument, even if it doesn't exactly answer the point, which is what humans do, too. So right. red herrings for the win. Um, I, you know, if all else fails, throw in an ad hominem attack and, and you're good to go. So it's not so much a better debater. It's just mimicking what humans already do. We are all about to live in Westworld. That's all I can say. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, if a human, if a, I don't, again, I'm not sure I understand what the purpose of this, but it does show, I mean, to, in an extemporaneous context, to understand an argument presented by another person and to distill that voice recognition down into such a way uh, to, to understand what he was saying, the point he was trying to make, and then go in real time and search articles that form a rebuttal to that, that's pretty mind blowing. Um, and, you know, in my grandchildren's lifetime, that sort of processing power will be on their watch. Uh, and what is the world going to be like that? I can't even imagine. Right. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm much the same way. I just, I think this is really cool. Um, I, I don't know this one, you know, a lot of the AI advancements, I'm kind of like, you know, watch out Skynet's around the corner and, you know, this won't be Skynet. This will be the, uh, talking head telling you that Skynet is benevolent whenever it starts to emerge. But, um, I just, I, I want to see the, the actual raw video of the debate. I think it would be cool. So this show has been going on for the better part of eight years, um, and Google finally released a podcast app. So that just goes to show how far ahead of the curve we actually were. We were eight years ahead of Google. Yeah, and I was wondering, what do y'all think about this? Is this a good thing? Is it going to kill the CastBack app and all of the other podcast apps out there? Or is this going to be that thing that makes podcasting everybody 
finally acknowledges the fact that podcasting is here and you know and it rests and it's basically internet radio somewhere between option a and option b uh it will um podcasts are already becoming news uh, uh wide stream I, I think i mentioned it uh a couple of weeks ago maybe not we were at my church we were interviewing a new worship pastor and one of the questions somebody out of the audience asked is what podcast do you listen to and it was this woman was you know 50 years old mother of of children and for her to ask that question it was like oh podcasting has arrived and now google uh, putting an app that not only lives on the phones but also on the google home devices that's just for me podcasting has arrived it is now considered a mainstream thing so you know all these years in i'm now mainstream i gotta find something else that'll make me an edge case (laughs) well there's some good there's some good of this um a friend of mine this week sent me uh, a text with a link oh we may never know to you know to a podcast that he was suggesting i listen to and it sounded really good but like in all cases I'm getting URLs to iTunes all the time, and I don't run Apple stuff, so you know, not not for podcast listing. So um, I try to work out what's the RSS feed for this thing, so I can cut and paste it and put it into my podcatcher, and it's nearly impossible. I mean, you have to you have to literally have iTunes on an Apple device to open it up to go dig into menus four five six levels down to get the rss feed because as apple would apple would like it to be um you know grandma don't understand no rss feed xml so okay fine that's that's fine but can there be a place other than itunes that is an ultimate registry of podcasts and no not soundcloud you know, something else. If Google have a podcast player application and they can match that with Google's wonderful indexing technology to give us a place where all podcasts can be looked up somewhere so that my buddy can send me a link to that that I can actually work with, I, I'm cool with this. I think that's great. I just don't know if they're going to go all the way and, and do the indexing thing. Google Google very rarely goes all the way on anything. They will do this for a while, then they'll abandon the project ten minutes, ten months from now, and that'll be that. Um, whatever. Uh, I don't. I think centralization of the type you're talking about it will actually be harmful for podcasts and not helpful. iTunes is harmful for podcasts uh, because you know if you can't be found in the masses, you can't be found at all. Uh, and, and I, you know, I run into that. every show. I encourage you to go to iTunes and, and leave a rating and review. Why? Because whether we like it or not, that is the de facto uh, uh, directory of podcasts on the Internet. Even if you're not on iTunes, other people pull from the iTunes directory. And um, the more and more centralized that gets, the the less and less likely you are to, to rise to the top. You you know, the, the rich people, the famous people, you know, Schnooky, I don't even know who that is, is going to have a podcast and it's immediately going to be on the top and that's what everybody's going to know about uh and i'm never going to be there so the more you centralize that the more it's the same old same old whether it's itunes or google or anybody else uh so i I don't i don't think that's a fix either way but it does at least legitimize the fact that this is a real thing yeah cool i was just i was just wondering what y'all thought about that because yeah i mean obviously duh we've known about podcast players for a long time and google has had the um, ability at least for a little while where you could listen to podcasts via the play store um you know so um 
just regular Google Play. So I don't know if they're disabling that because of this happened, but now you can kind of tie it in with uh, Google Home and all right. of that. So, you know, yay, I guess, maybe. And just to make sure that uh, the world keeps getting a bigger place, uh, a, a bigger heap of everything in one place, AT&T just bought Time Warner. So there's that. Yeah, well, and you know, and it's not so much that AT&T bought Time Warner. It's AT&T proved that they had the money left over from buying Time Warner to also buy the U.S. government to ram the merger through. Um, you know, that's my uh, tinfoil hat or uh, conspiracy theory of the week tie in on this because they've already announced a bunch of new um basically ways to separate you from your money and one of the things they specifically said is hey this is going to cause uh, us to be able to shift the price from the consumer to um advertising revenue and yet the first thing they did was hey here's a bunch of new ways for you to subscribe to us and give us more money so you know yay at&t you i guess you own the world now um well you know and go ahead boss oh internet delay we, we may never know um, it, hopefully we'll get him back i'm just going to move on is while at&t was in the process of uh buying legislatures uh they proved that uh they they're not just globally focused at&t has a local focus too in that they went ahead and bought uh, california while they were at it yeah, California had a um, net neutrality bill that was going to be, you know, because the the U.S. government basically caved on net neutrality. And so California said, hey, we're going to demand, you know, net neutrality here in the state. And before it even got out of committee, um, it was they were added a bunch of amendments that said you can pass this bill, but there won't be anything in it other than the title. And so that's what made it out of committee. And that's what passed. So, yay, California passed net neutrality but if you look on the bills basically it means nothing so um you know in a lot of ways i i don't know like capitalism for the for the victory for big corporations because you know at&t was one of the ones mentioned in the article but every you know every lobbying group from big business um wanted to make sure that this particular bill if it passed was totally defamed and you know pumped full of pork so you know, yay, consumer takes it again. Miles, are you back with us? Yep, I'm here. Can All you right, hear so, me? Yeah, what words that you were trying to say earlier? I was just curious as to uh, how uh, how this whole AT&T merger might affect cord cutters. I mean, will it, it will it make more people become cord cutters? Well, it's getting to the point where it doesn't matter because they still get your money either way. Um, so if you dump yeah. uh, the cable company, you still have to have bandwidth. So uh, early on, uh, a friend of mine went to work for uh, the local cable company uh, like years ago. We, we were just out of high school, that kind of early on. And while I was going to college, he went to work for the local cable company. And, I, and this is when the, the, the small satellite dishes, uh, DirecTV, I think, was the first to do it. The little 18-inch dishes that you see everywhere. Before that, it was the 12 or 18-foot dishes. Um, and I asked him, you know, are you worried about that? Is this career that you're embarking on is just going to ruin? He said, no, we, we, cable companies own all that. So it's all the same uh, pie. They're just dividing up slices between uh, different companies. And and that's what we're seeing now. It's uh, AT&T now owns content as well as delivery. So they win either way. You can cut whatever cord you want, but you still got to buy the shows. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, because Google, yeah, it's one of those, there's nothing that stops them from developing their own, but why develop our own when we can go out and buy a company that's already doing it, and thus, other, you know, like now, if, um, I don't know who's an an ISP that they don't own now, if they want to... um, I guess they don't own Dish, right? They own DirecTV. So if Dish wants to carry the Time Warner channels, now AT&T gets money from them. So, yay. Right. And and that's why they're opposed to the whole net neutrality thing, because they want to get paid twice. They want to get paid for the content and for the delivery. Um, and, you know, we did, we've done a couple of shows. I, I, I forget what show number it is, but if you go look for, uh, I think I called it uh, Important Name uh, important concept, bad name. Uh, I, I'd spent a good deal of time talking about net neutrality and, and the, I, I haven't changed my opinion on that. Uh, it still is a very important thing, but it's also a lost cause. Um, the world, you know, we, we even talked about it just recently. The world follows waves of centralization and decentralization. We're in a centralization wave um, and net neutrality is going to be destroyed. And it, there's no legislation that's going to fix that. Um, it will only be when we, the people, decide to stop giving we our money uh, to companies that it'll matter. And that's the only time it'll ever matter. When it becomes uh, uh, a uh, financial uh, boondoggle to be a poor internet citizen, that then and only then will companies be good internet citizens. Wow. Yeah, you know, it, 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 the, being an international person at the moment, I've been comparing different data plans that they have in Mexico. And uh, we were in a, a town in uh, uh, Jalisco uh, called uh, Ajijic. And uh, I w- happened to be speaking to a real estate agent there, and I was asking them about internet. And they were telling me about this new 300 gigabit, I think, yeah, 300 God no, I'm wrong saying that. I think it was, I think it was 300 gig wow, um, okay. to the home fiber that you can get there, and uh, you know the peso right now is like 20 to one. It's ridiculously uh, out of sync with the US dollar. But when I did a conversion of the monthly price for that to US, it's like 38 bucks for 300 you know gig of <laughs> data. Um, Okay, uh, that's pretty amazing. If if we're talking these sorts of numbers, um, and this is going to be in the home, then I fear for any legislation or any corporate, you know, mega buyouts that would restrict or price out of the market the average consumer from competing at that level, because our neighbours to the south are going to kill us. Well, Seth, I mean, what were we- you going to say? Well, I don't remember, but we've already got that point because we already have government mandated monopolies um, and, you know, that keep competition from driving the prices down. So these companies, again, I'm going to use the word service in air quotes, their consumers right out of their ability to have any type of choice in the matter or better themselves because they just like hey you know it's us or no one so you could always go satellite they're such great isps um yeah i don't know Uh, consolidation is both a good thing and a bad thing and that's that's what we're seeing here and and essentially net neutrality is forcing people to to not use the power of consolidation 
which you know it's the is what makes it a losing battle um so there we go it, more on this to come uh the when the government when the federal government said that they weren't going to enforce it they left it open for the local governments to do it the state governments and now we're seeing the money and the the obvious bribes there's no other way to call that uh, being spent at the local level and so you know if they can if they can get to california what chance does rhode island have yeah you know and i mean i guess this is a good way because you know one they they bought the the u.s government to stay out of it and then so they can buy off the individual states cheaper um than they could the whole now and all they have to do is a couple of big states and all the other small states will follow through so really it's a good investment for the the big uh the big um you know wire hogs or whatever they are they get california florida texas the rest of the country comes along yeah that's true in everything they're really 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 good at shrouding and selling corruption as a feature yes <laughs> corruption as a feature i like it that should have been the show title um oh i remember what i was going to say um the thing is they're the big companies and they own all the advertising so the first time it comes up there's news about it and that's where the individual consumers get it but news is only good the first time so the second time they change the name and there's no more news and you just have the advertising telling you it's such a great thing and that's why you know we have proven time and time again the gullibility of the american consumer who will just you know they'll they'll swallow something before they even knew it was offered to them and then you know this is what we get later so all right and on that note i only have one question seth what happened this week in history all right mark well i am going to go way back in time to i'm sorry i just realized a typo as i was speaking june the 23rd 1868 the Shoals Glidden typewriter. The first practical and commercially successful typewriter is patented. And perhaps the most notable in the design of this, which later became the Remington number no. one typewriter, and if you're into history, that's a big deal, um, is the use of the QWERTY keyboard, which is still the most popular keyboard layout in the world. And that happened all the way back in 1886, this week in history, Mark. And now back to you. The only thing I will debate uh, in that whole thing is the word popular keyboard layout in the world it is the most widely used i think it is also the most widely hated um but there you go okay well if it's widely used that means it's popular because if it wasn't (laughs) it wouldn't be used it wouldn't be the most widely used so you know everybody knows you know popularity doesn't equal good or bad it just equals well known classic propaganda technique all those people can't be wrong uh, right. And now, Seth, what do you have to lower my productivity that's making you seem like a better hiring option? Okay, this is a YouTube link. Uh, it's from the Screen Rant YouTube channel. And these are pitch meetings where this guy does this, um, has a writer pitching to like a, a studio executive, different things. And this particular one was for, I believe, Thor Ragnarok. Um, and they do a bunch of different ones. And so they're spoilers galore. I have only watched the pitch meetings to the things I have seen the movies on. And then they do other things like pitching the rock as a celebrity and all of this kind of stuff. And they are just, they are very funny and very tongue in cheek kind of stuff. And they're about four or five minutes in length. I just think they're funny. So if you've ever asked yourself, how did this come about? They, they seek to answer that question. 
Right. But very tongue in cheek. And, you know, all of the inconsistencies that, you know, we point out and other people point out in the movies. Hey, wouldn't people think this is stupid? They they mention it and then they point out that basically, oh, the audience won't matter because we're going to show them a pretty picture over here <laughs> kind of thing. And it's, it's just they're very funny. Uh, you know, he does one a week. So sometimes, you know, when you do when you do that kind of stuff consistently, they can't all be out of the park, but usually they're at least enough to get him on base. So awesome. And now this, this is the part of the show where I tell you how you can feed back to us. You can go to elementop.com, click the contact us button at the top of the page, answer the world's hardest captcha, fill out the form there. And that sends an email to my in basket that gets priority there above everything else, or you can dial five, five, nine. I am Opie. Leave us a voicemail message, uh, or you can send an email to EDL at geek grant. Oh, got that backwards. Uh, EDL was the old one. Uh, geek grant at element I think EDL still works by the way. Um, and that'll send an email to us, uh, and let us know what you think. Uh, thanks to the guys who hung out in the live chat with us. We had, uh, uh a larger group than normal. It grew by a hundred percent, uh, from one person to two. Uh, thank you for that we we like having uh people there to uh, chat with us you can do that we we go live at around 7 30 p.m eastern time uh every sunday night and uh you can find us at elementopi.com slash live or uh you can follow my youtube channel just search for geek rant you'll find it. honestly i have no idea how to find my youtube channel i don't know um, but some people have figured it out. Uh, but if, again, if you go to our website, elementopi.com slash live, it's there. And, uh, so, uh, that's it. Thanks for hanging out with us. Miles, Seth, any final words of wisdom before we say good night? Nope. Where are you going to be coming from to us from next week, Miles? I'm back in Phoenix, uh, okay. for a week or two, and then I'll be in South Australia. All right. So yeah, for July, you, you'll be. All the way on the other side of the world. In the freezing cold. That's right. I forgot. It's winter there now. Yes. Yes. I'm not looking forward to that either. But, you know, what do you do? Stinking hot desert summer, freezing cold winter. I don't know. Much of a muchness, I guess. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thanks for hanging out with us. We'll see you next week because that's it for this episode of The Geek Rant. Geek Rant.